Welcome to our podcast. My name is Keely Severson, and I'm here with co-hosts Eric Johnson and Alicia Swamy, and together we are Exposing Mold. Today we are here with our guest, Silgia. Hello, everyone. I'd love to introduce you to Home Cleanse, formerly known as All-American Restoration. They are the first and only remediation company in the country specializing in remediating mold for people with underlying health conditions or mold sensitivities. They've quickly become the most recommended remediation company from doctors and mold inspectors nationwide. Visit them at homecleanse.com. Hello, everyone. Alicia here. One of the most common questions I receive from our audience members is this. Who can I trust to perform a thorough mold inspection of my home? The Mold Guy performs mold inspections specifically for individuals who require a much higher standard of care owing to your complex health concerns like SIRS, Lyme, CFS, autoimmune issues, and more. Their testing and inspection process supersedes all current industry standards on purpose making them thought leaders and disruptors in an industry unwilling to change old and outdated paradigms. Book your complimentary phone consult here at themoldguyinc.com slash connect. That's themoldguyinc.com slash c-o-n-n-e-c-t. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Eric has informed Alicia and I, that you were the very first person ever in Iceland to to bring mold awareness to Iceland. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So how, how, what were the circumstances in which you did that? Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, okay. Um, I actually was a biologist and living in my home, getting sick, and my whole family got sick and we didn't know what was happening and why and it went on for some months and uh, after what six months we've been living at, in that home uh, we found out that we had a water water leakage in the kitchen and from that moment I figured out well probably this is some kind of a reason why um, the whole family is sick with the different symptoms and everybody had different symptoms each one of the family member and from that day on, we moved out from the house and I tried to get some help in Iceland to investigate and find out what was happening, both with the house and with our health. And unfortunately, nobody knew anything and I couldn't get any help. So, uh, yeah, the National in- Institution of Biology uh, they at least could uh, analyze some samples from the house. So that was their first or second time to analyze uh, mold and bacteria from uh, water damage building. And it was a a huge report made because of my house and uh, what happened. And after that, uh, people started hearing about this sick family in this uh, moldy water damage building. And uh, in 2006, I... I had then been bedridden for two years trying to get my health back. And during that time, when I was really sick, just lying in bed with my computer, I actually found Eric online in, uh, I think, a Yahoo group. And in that time, we didn't have a Facebook or anything. Isn't that true, Eric? It was a Yahoo building group or something. And, and uh, Yeah, that was the Yahoo sick buildings group started by Barbara, Barbara Hershkowitz. Yeah, exactly. And I found that group when I was reading and, and yeah, I, I just was reading everything there and I said, yeah, this is something, this actually is something that I want to listen to and read more about. And, and from that point on, I found Dr. Schumacher online and then he was probably just starting his uh, investigation into this. He, well, he, he had had some a lot of patients and things like that, but not like today. And I actually just sent him, him an email and he answered me. And he actually was my online doctor from the USA. And from that moment, uh, he helped me uh, 
to uh, get some blood samples and I sent them to the States. And yes, I got my health back in some months with guidings from Eric and Dr. Schumacher and from a lot, a lot of people uh, around the world because nobody here in Iceland had any knowledge of what was happening. And of course, for me, I didn't know what was happening to us, but being a biologist uh, was really helping me to understand the research and being able to read from PubMed. I always say that uh, in 2005, I was almost able to read all the research on PubMed. Today, it's not even possible. There are so many about these uh, sickness and water damage in buildings. So, yeah. And then some newspaper asked me to tell my story. And I thought, hmm, yeah, maybe some other people in Iceland have this problem. I don't know. Maybe some I can help a few of them and let them know. And uh, from that day on, from this newspaper interview, people started calling me. And people were making, uh, you know, links to their sickness, staying at home or in their workplace. And 2006, I started my own company. Uh, it's, it was called House and Health. It was just me and my husband. And I was the actually the first one in Iceland to have a moisture meter because I found out really soon that that was the thing that helped us the most. And that uh, air sampling was not the thing to do and all kind of stuff. I, I was running this company for, what, 10 years when a big consulting company here in Iceland bought my little company. Then we were five or six working there. And from 2016, I've been working as a consultant for uh, the biggest engineer company in Iceland in assessing water damages in buildings and consulting for indoor air quality and better buildings. My my goal is for Icelandic uh, communities and everybody to build better buildings so we won't get these problems because since then we have found out that we have a lot of problems in Iceland. So this was the short short version. How are things going at the uh, university hospital? Ah, we have a lot of problems there. Actually, I, I have was uh, assessing that house uh, some years back. And like for every governance building in Iceland, I think that is uh, built from 1930 to 1970, we have some water damage problems, but they are working on it. Yeah, they're really working on it and fixing. And, and the new hospital being built they are thinking about moisture safety when they're building now because of uh, because of what we have been talking about the last what 15 years in this, here in Iceland but yes i was the first one actually to mention that water damage in building is problem and we can link it to bad health i remember remember even in the uh, sick buildings days back in the uh, early 2000s when you joined up we were having a lot of problem with people blaming allergies they had no knowledge, even in our group, of mold being a toxic chemical. Yeah. So I remember um, when I was describing mycotoxins as being some kind of horrific chemicals, and this was a chemical sensitivity, you were actually the first person to join in and say, I don't know who this Eric is, but he's, he's right. This is a, a chemical toxin. Yeah. Well, like for me, I... I I've been working in this field now for 15, 16 years, and I don't even yet know, know the answer what is the, uh, the main source of what is happening in the building. But I know that is toxins, there's molds, there's bacteria, there's a, there are chemicals. I even can see when different, chemical, different uh, building materials are wet, we get different sickness, we get different symptoms. We have more problems in particular building materials than others. Is it because of the uh, the microbiome in the building, or is it the uh, the building materials themselves? Yeah, but there is some chemical soup and toxins, and yeah, the symptoms resemble that. Which uh, molds do you find to be the most problematic? For me, uh, when I see stachybotrys, catomium. Uh, Trichoderma, uh, 
if I see actinobacteria, uh, if I see a soup of these, of course, uh, aspergillus and pencillium, some species, these are the problematic things we see here. Most of the buildings in Iceland are made of concrete. So usually we are a little bit different than other houses, like in Scandinavia or something, where they're more building from wood. But uh, where we have high water damage uh, contained, you know, we always have these uh, species. And of course, I don't have any uh, research about it. It's just from my work where I, where I can see where the people have the most symptoms and the most problems is where these, these problems are. Well, when the uh, chronic fatigue syndrome or the uh, mystery disease first struck my little village, Incline Village, um, we became chemically reactive to all kinds of things, formaldehyde, perfumes, diesel exhaust. It seemed like people were complaining about everything, and the common denominator was the black mold. And it seemed to me that the mold was actually acting as um, something that created a window of opportunity, of vulnerability for all these other things. And I couldn't avoid all the other chemicals. So I just concentrated on the black mold as being the prime mover. And I got such good results with that that I thought, well, people ought to know. And they could look into the black mold and find out if there's something special about this toxin that somehow defeats our defenses and is responsible for these other secondary chemical reactivities. Yeah. Like like I said, I haven't really digged deep into what is happening, but yeah, I, I agree that if if you are in a water damage building and you have these species and these problems, you are what what do you call it? You get uh, you can't uh, tolerate formaldehyde and all the other chemicals. I can see that every day. So how swiftly is this problem progressing in Iceland? How swiftly? What do you mean? <laughs> well, I mean uh, years ago, it seems like it was unknown. Mm-hmm. So how much? How much of a problem is it today? How many people? Uh, we don't really know how the big the problem is. Uh, but uh, like for me, I'm, I'm working with the building community. And uh, I, my focus is there, is making better buildings. So, so we won't have this damage. And uh, like for the last uh, six to 10 years, the knowledge has been growing. And for this year, I I got a grant uh, that uh, the, what do you call it in English? The government property agency is also a part of, and we are going to make a, a guideline for assessing buildings. But uh, what we know now is that 30 to 70% of buildings have water damages. So there's a lot of work ahead here in Iceland especially because we haven't had this knowledge before. We are like uh, 20, 30 years behind, like Finland and, and other Scandinavian countries in this knowledge. So there's a big, what do you say, big project for us ahead. Well, I remember you had a, um, a bunch of little huts, like bungalows in a beautiful place. And do you yeah. use those where people can come get a rest? Uh, yeah. Usually people uh, just, uh, yeah, people can do that. My parents have this place in the northern part of the of the country, but that's in the northern part, and we have the most problems here in the capital, in the south. So usually people, like for here in Iceland, we don't have uh, doctors that are uh, specialized in this, unfortunately. So that's also a problem. So people usually have to just seek for advice. And things like that. I'm really fortunate here in Nevada because it's a desert and we've got a lot of wide open territory and people can get a RV or a shed and just move to a pristine location and recover. What do you do in Iceland? Uh, because of the weather, uh, we, we often like to, <laughs> so many people go for the summer just camping because uh, outside we have really clean air. Here in Iceland, we are fortunate for that and clean water. But uh, usually we need to just, people often just need to move to a new building that is clean. 
that's the only opportunity we don't have any uh, like uh, like some program on anything for people not yet it's unfortunate that there is not well hopefully someday we'll uh, have sanitariums or places of refuge where yeah. when somebody's really so sick and needs to get clear they'll have yeah. a place to go yeah that's my that's my dream to have a like a healthy healthy home option for people in this place. So within the last couple of years, Dr. Shoemaker has really changed his focus and puts much more emphasis on bacteria, actinomycetes. Are you testing for that now? Uh, we've been testing for that just uh, because we use the uh, qPCR uh, screening method. And in that, they screen for what, I think, 500 species each time. So yes, we are screening for that also. And uh, I haven't really been uh, uh, looking into what his uh, what he his new research is, but I can agree that actinobacteria are really abundant in at least houses here in Iceland, and they are cooperating with uh, with the mold. They're in the same same places as at least where we find them. Well, my uh, premise is that since these species of bacteria, actinomycetes, they're common in the soil, and even these molds have always been around, mm-hmm. that something must have changed to make them more powerful, more pathogenic. And that's what I'm still trying to get our institutes to look into, is the possibility that they're synergizing with chemicals or somehow altered in such a way that they're creating problems now that are over and above the standard toxins that we would find in the literature. Yeah, like, like, assume at, like outside or something, or are you thinking about that? For for me, I look at the uh, the building uh, building place a lot different than the ecosystem outside. The ecosystem inside is so different, and the chemicals we are using in the glues, in the vinyl flooring, in the walls, all the chemicals we are using, they are so different, and they are so we don't know even the chemicals now when we are building new. After water damage, I always ask for the data sheet for every building material, because I want to have them as healthy as we can. And I often found that uh, we don't have information about what we are using in our buildings. So I think that's also the uh, ecosystem in our buildings is so different from, from before. Yeah, I've looked for places outside where the mold felt just as bad as inside these buildings. And I did find a couple of places. Okay. And this is where they use a lot of flame retardant. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We are using flame retardants everywhere now. I actually went down into some culverts below a um, loading station for aircraft that uh, fight forest fires, dropping flame retardant on it. And I thought, well, this will be a a good experiment. I can go down to this place below where this loading platform is into this ditch where there's a lot of swampy muck and microbial growth. And if I feel anything down there, which I don't feel on the loading platform, then that can perhaps tell me that the microbial colonies are synergizing with the flame retardant and producing something really bad. And sure enough, it was terrible. Yeah, that's interesting. Really, But of course, it's all anecdotal and we can't get anybody to research it yet. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's really interesting to think. I always think about it like that way, that something is happening in the building ecosystem that is, has changed. And I think it's a lot of about the chemicals that we are bringing inside, indoors. Even the cleaning cleaning agents and everything, we are changing the microbiome. Yeah, we just did an interview with Dr. Chin Yang. I mean, who's really the, the godfather of mold illness. The first person to, he and Dr. Eckerd Johanning, to bring mold into the forefront, literally introduce it into the indoor air quality literature. And we uh, asked him about the possibility of mold working together with these chemicals. And he said, yeah, it's conceivable, but it hasn't been studied. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting because, yeah, I looked at the your posting about Chernobyl and the molds from there. So these are really, fungi is a really marvelous uh, creature that can do whatever it needs to do. So it shouldn't be a pr- surprise that they are making some other chemicals from all the chemicals that we are using. Yeah, during the uh, 
the mystery back in 1985 when people were pointing at all the various chemicals, I'd say, but those levels of chemicals didn't change. Everything is exactly the same. They didn't spray any additional pesticides. They didn't paint or nothing changed. There's, there's no agriculture up at Lake Tahoe. So nothing new was introduced. The only thing that really changed was that this mold started growing and people started pointing at it going, wow, that's really making me sick. So that was my request is maybe we ought to find out what mold is doing now that it didn't used to do. Yeah, that, that's a good question. And uh, I guess you probably don't have a whole lot of agriculture in Iceland. No, we don't. And we, yeah, we don't use so much pesticides. And so we don't have that problem. And we don't have uh, additives in our water or anything. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that are different here. Well, how are things going with the volcano? Well, it's not erupting anymore. But uh, talking about that, the air quality outside changed dramatically. And especially the people that had symptoms from water damage building, they could really, yeah, they could really feel it when the air quality outside was getting worse. And yeah. Yeah, that's what I was wondering if the volcanic emissions were affecting the mold sufferers. Yeah, at least at least for the air quality. I don't know if they if it uh, if it because of the dust in the houses they are also changed. So maybe that's also a factor. I don't know. It's really interesting. So are people being diagnosed with MECFS in Iceland? Been diagnosed with CFS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have a community of CFS here in Iceland. Interesting. Yeah. And um, I suppose nobody's told them that chronic fatigue syndrome was actually based on toxic mold. Well, actually, I had a lecture with them, uh, some, some small group from them, uh, some two years ago. And I was just, yeah, I told them a little bit about it. I, I was trying to... Uh, Trying to tell them about that environmental factors can have, yeah, can change the symptoms. But uh, like you know, the, it's really hard to uh, teach people that have some sickness how to, yeah, I don't know how to say it. You know what I mean? It's really hard to, uh, yeah. Yeah, everybody's sick and brain fogged. And, yeah. you know, they just, it's so difficult to learn anything. Especially exactly. since these mold toxins, they're they're neurotoxins. Mm -hmm. But but we have some CFS uh, patients here in Iceland that have got really really better and even just uh, almost healed from moving from their houses and from their workplaces. Wow, that's fantastic! We need to make contact with them. <laughs> yeah, actually, even for myself, I was diagnosed with. Uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, and uh, I can't feel any, any symptom from that today. Wow, that's amazing. Well, you know, the uh, misconception that's kind of accidentally happening here by saying that chronic fatigue syndrome is a misdiagnosis of mold illness is that people are still being told they have CFS, but not being told, hey, there's a connection between the two. So mm -hmm. it's almost like CFS wound up in um, some kind of separate limbo, and even our own institutes here in the United States, they haven't made that connection yet. Mm -hmm. We actually have one doctor here in Iceland that uh, she herself was sick from uh, water damage building, the hospital, and uh, she has been uh, lecturing with the CFS group and some other doctors in, in the world, and she is... Uh, actually telling them about this connection that some and she talks about that some subgroup of CFS could possibly be from water damage buildings and I know that they're listening to her and and they're looking into it. Oh that's fantastic. If we could make um, a connection with her. Oh yeah and the group can. yeah that uh, yeah that would help drive a, a wedge into the mm -hmm. people that still don't know about it in, in our country. Yeah that would be great. I know, I know she would be interested in that. She really wants to uh, yeah, learn more and teach more. Yeah, I was stunned, even in uh, our sick buildings days, how mold avoidance completely resolved my chemical sensitivities. That if I just paid attention to the mold, I didn't have to worry about blade plug-ins 
or formaldehyde, any of the other chemicals that were bothering me completely mm-hmm. went away. Yeah, I agree. Fantastic. Cool. So, Alicia. Well, yeah, I wanted to thank you again for joining us, my dear. I really appreciate it. And I'm just really curious. You said that in Iceland, um, the buildings are constructed um, from concrete. Is that yeah. what I heard? Yeah, mostly. Mostly they use concrete. Which is really interesting because in the United States, everyone thinks that, um, you know, the toxic mold problem is because of the materials being used in the home, right? They, they, they attribute it to the wood that's being used, the gypsum, the sheetrock, um, but you guys are still having the same problem, but you're using a completely different material, which is really interesting. So if it's not the material, then what is going on? And that's what we really like to focus well, on the exterior ecosystem and like what's changing in the environment that is making this mold act the up. Prob- the problem in Iceland is actually uh, 20 years ago, we started using gypsum boards a lot around uh, showers. So we have the uh, concrete uh, outer walls and we have often gypsum boards in the, in the inside. And then we uh, also use vinyl flooring and glues on the floor. And we have a lot of rain in Iceland and it goes sideways in every way. And the, the windows are often leaking and they're leaking inside and under the flooring. So our biggest problems are the wet rooms, uh, like bathrooms and beneath windows and in front of doors. And old concrete in Iceland is actually we're really uh, not uh, clean. That we, we just went outside and got some uh, sand from next beach or something. So the new concrete in Iceland, like 10, 15 years old, I often not find any, any uh, microbiomes in, in it. Also because the pH in the new concrete is really high. And we are actually making a research now at my company that we are checking out uh, the pH of the concrete and if we find microbes. And we have found out that above 8 or 9 pH level, we don't find anything. So new concrete is really, yeah, it's not nice to live there if you're a fungi. Yeah, and you mentioned something earlier where um, you said, you know, people are getting sick more in the south or, or, or in the city, I'm guessing, but in the north, it's a lot cleaner and a lot better. Are the homes constructed differently in the north where people are healing or getting better? Or uh, Maybe it's just this is the capital area and most of the people live here. I think it's mainly because of that. And yeah, and, and the air is not as clean here because of, of, the, of the cars and everything and the volcano and everything. So I think it's just that it's, it's the same building materials. Yeah, like a culmination of um, just yeah. different environmental factors, maybe. Yeah, and it think. rains a lot more here in the south, a lot more. Yeah, wow, interesting. I, I, you know, I'm curious as to what you did to get well. I practiced avoidance from water damage building as I could, as I, as was possible. I actually made a new home for my family, and uh, I also took away all the chemicals that I could. And I also followed the protocol as I could here in Iceland with no doctor helping me, but shoemaker. So I followed the protocol there. Yeah, and that gave me my ability to work and live again. I wasn't uh, socializing or anything, as people know in this situation. But now I'm yeah, teaching, working, socializing. But I have to be careful. And uh, my main uh, problem is that I was assessing water damage buildings for 10 years. And that is not a good idea for for people like me. (laughs) So now I'm not doing that anymore. So my health is uh, actually much better. Fantastic. That's wonderful. I'm curious um, if you ever find yourself in a water damage building or in a, you know, highly polluted area, do symptoms come back? Do you, what do you feel? Do, do you have, you know, similar symptoms as you had before? 
Yeah, similar, but much less, and they co- completely go away in in some couple of hours. Wow, that's incredible. So I don't. I- you know, Eric Keely and I were probably all thinking, oh, she's probably a hypersensitive, meaning your body's been primed and has been abused enough by the stuff that now it kind of tells you when you're around it and you know, oh man, I'm feeling a certain way. It's time to get the heck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm I, glad should, that- I, look at, I look at it in a positive way. I know when to, yeah, when to take care of myself. It's amazing how sometimes you can just move a couple feet and it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I consider myself hypersensitive, but healthy. That's great. The no, major like- problem we've got in um, <laughs> the U.S. is especially the Southwest. Well, people said if you just move to uh, Arizona or Nevada, your problems are over. That's it. It's a desert. Mold can't grow there. But we've got. Um, Air conditioning systems everywhere. And pipes, I think. Water leakage from pipes. Yeah, but people really, really point at the uh, air conditioning systems. Whenever it turns on, they, they start screaming, literally. And I guess you probably don't have a lot of air conditioning systems no. in Iceland. No, no, we don't. Do you have a, a problem, though, with people feeling more symptoms when the heating goes on? Say, if they have duct work? or forced air furnaces where the fan comes on and people feel it much more? Uh, I only, no, I only can uh, see problems when we have old HVAC systems in the building that haven't, hasn't been cleaned and uh, they haven't got the filters okay. So we have in some office buildings these systems and we have some problems with them, but that is, uh, I think, to maintain problems. Mm-hmm. But if we have good systems with good maintenance and uh, good air exchange, that's the one, number one thing, uh, the air quality is better. At least, like I said, for we don't have a lot of them here in Iceland. Something we're going to be talking about here, because we introduced this concept with Dr. Chin Yang, is that the polymerase chain reaction test PCR is actually defeated by certain common chemicals, even uh, gypsum, if it, it will somehow mess with the ability of the PCR to amplify the DNA and give a, a false reading. Okay. Okay. That's I remember John Banta was talking about this several years ago, how he was finding that stachybotrys was showing up and he could visually identify it and the PCR test wasn't catching it. Mm-hmm. Actually, for me, I've learned in these 15 years, I don't trust dust samples or air sampling. I, I assess buildings with uh, moisture meters and the knowledge of the building, the, the, uh, how the construction is, building physics, number one. How, is, how does the moisture travel through the walls in the building? Where is possible condensation? And I try to find the problems. and fix them. I only use air sampling and dust sampling for like getting some extra puzzles. I always look at at the building as a big puzzle and I get sample the puzzles and then I get the picture. So I I don't ever use uh, sampling as to say the state of a building from sampling. How much do you rely on your perceptions? Uh, from, From my puzzles. From your senses, being able to go in and feel a certain area. Oh, that's bad. I, I, I can trust that. I also use that, of course, but I cannot put that in the report. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sadly, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's the problem is we find that those of us who are hypersensitive, our senses don't align with the testing. And yeah. we have to go with what we feel. Yeah. I was actually in a conference in. Uh, healthy buildings two years back and there was the I don't remember who was talking about it he said uh, these biosensors and he was talking about people like us those are the best meters in the world <laughs> so he acknowledged that uh, he, he had been working with a person that was hypersensitive and he found out that every every single time that person found something 
yeah, it was a problem. I think that's really the way of the future is that uh, instead of relying completely on testing and experts, they're going to have to factor us in, listen to us. And when we lead them to a certain part of the building and point, they, they just have to trust us. Yeah, probably. But I have a lot of uh, really good building assess uh, consultants working with me in APLA. They are building technicians and engineers, and they have been learning from me and co- going with me to assess buildings. And they are actually that good today that they can often, like, let's say 90%, find the problems. So you can train people to find the problems. Are you running into any problem that sometimes they'll go out on a job, they'll inspect a place and come back so contaminated that just standing next to them would just about knock you flat? Yeah, of course. Okay. Wow. Yeah, in, uh, in the United States, we have, um, I don't know if you have this in Iceland, but there's a new business arising with the mold stuff and that's mold sniffing dogs. <laughs> yeah, we have and, one in Iceland. Yeah, yeah, which is really interesting because, you know, we'll we'll send a dog to go in to do the job, but if we're going to try to use people as sensors, it's kind of looked down down upon, you know? Yeah, but actually for me, I, I don't like the idea of using dogs because uh, dogs can't say when they don't feel good and they are sniffing around with their nose in it. And they, to, because at my company, we actually looked into it to have a dog and I was not really fond of it, but I looked into it and I could see that you have to train the dog and let them sniff every day. And you can only have him sniff 15 species or something that he can recognize. So they are also limited. And I don't want to expose a dog that cannot tell me if he is having symptoms or feeling bad. So for me, it was just, no, I don't want, I don't like to use dogs for that. I can, yeah, the building technicians are better and they got better results than the dog. So I like that you brought, I I like that you brought that up because I, you know, earlier on in my health journey, you know, we've all been uh, affected by mold here. Um, You know, I thought the way to go was to, to get a service dog that would be able to sniff mold for me until... Eric allowed me to just help me build my own tools to be able to figure out where mold is myself. And yeah, there, I mean, there is an ethical like side of that, that, you know, (laughs) everyone likes to say that the people that get sick with mold illness have a certain genetic predisposition that they have this gene called HLA-DR. I don't know if that's something you guys follow uh, with the limited practitioners you have in Iceland of this genetic predisposition thing. But I mean, clearly dogs get sick and they don't have this genetic predisposition, right? They don't have this gene. So poison is poison at the end of the day. And I I think a lot of people kind of miss that. Um, And they think, oh, there's something wrong with my body that I'm sick when others are not, Um, you know? And so- And even for for me, I have a lot of uh, home calls because of the, the dog is sick in the home. Wow. A lot of, uh, it's like here in Iceland, it's so new that the, uh, what do you call it? The pet doctors, I don't know the English word for it. The, yeah, the wet, yeah. They actually have noticed before the human doctors have. So that was uh, like in 2009 and 10. Often I went for a, a home check because the uh, doctor of the dog said, hmm, there's something wrong in your home, I think, because of the symptoms. So, yeah, I know that dogs can be really, really sick from it. Yeah, it's amazing that our knowledge of toxic black mold stachybotrys comes from the veterinary literature because this was known to the veterinarians as a disease of horses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and even where cows stay, they really don't like to have mold, so they get more milk and things like that. So they know that. Incredible that this knowledge has been in the veterinary literature for so many years and didn't translate into the human health effects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in a way, I think we kind of need to shame them a little bit, you know, provide some motivation saying, look, doctors, you're kind of falling behind. There's uh, knowledge of these toxins and it's out there. You just need to go look for it. Yeah. 
the problem is like here in Iceland, like you were talking about allergies, uh, doctors in Iceland are still focusing on allergies. They know there's something else, but they don't have the tools or they don't test for anything else. Now, back in the 1980s, allergy was considered any altered reaction to an antigen, to an irritant. And even though they were clearly describing hypersensitivity, it was still called allergy anyway. And it was only after we found out about innate immune responses, our body's chemical reactions, that they started saying, wow, we, we need a different word for this. So sometimes we actually have to look back in the literature and when we read allergy, try to figure out, okay, what are they describing here? A chemical reaction or an antigenic one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of things that we need to look better into in this building ecosystem, like I call it, the built yes. environment. <laughs> but it's a fascinating topic. Yeah, it is. And, yeah. Have you connected with uh, Dr. Tumanen? No. Uh, we had Dr. Tamara Tumanen. She's a Finnish um, microbiologist, and she got sick too from mold. And she actually put a lot of her own resources into um, studying the damp environment and how it relates to illness. And I mean, I, I am, I'm assuming if you read all the articles on PubMed, you probably have yeah, came across yeah. some of her stuff, yeah. but her, her work is phenomenal. And, you know, she's really, uh, she's retiring that side because, you know, there's just, there's no money. There's no grants being offered anywhere for this stuff to be researched. Well, maybe in Australia, we'll see how that turns out. Um, but, you know, she's really hoping that the the next generation of doctors and researchers really focus in on this because this is a growing problem. As you said, it is getting much worse there. It's getting much worse here in the States. Um, and, you know, with the addition of millions of wildfires happening every summer with the frat being sprayed everywhere, we don't, like we said, we don't really know how these microbes are interacting with these chemicals and what they're doing and what they're putting off. But, you know, one thing we do know and one thing Eric is 100% certain on is that it is getting worse and it's not slowing down. (laughs) And we can't be in the dark anymore with this um, because so many people are falling ill. And what happens when you have an entire population sick and can't work? Your economy completely collapses. Um, And so this is a problem on so many levels. It's not just individual health, but it's the the health of, of the entire country. And the flow um, yeah. of the entire country. We can't <laughs> we can't sit here and take care of everyone that's sick. You know, we, we need people who are healthy and able bodied. And I mean, people also want to live their lives, right? You, like you said, when you were sick, you were secluded and you weren't able to do what you wanted to do. But now that you're healthy, like look what you started. You have this whole business in Iceland, and you're doing wonderful things. And that wouldn't happen if you were still ill. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah. It's just so great to to connect with like-minded individuals, even being in other countries um, and, and spreading the awareness and, and continuing fighting for this. Um, we're really big on, uh, you know, calling out doctors and people that we need on our side to get to work on this, you know, because um, they don't have an incentive. But again, there's a larger incentive where we need to keep our population healthy to keep the economy running. So exactly. let's look yeah. into this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My brother is actually a health economist, and he has been uh, calculating the cost for Iceland to lose all these people from uh, the working force due to this, and he's he's calculating it now. But the problem with the doctor community is that it's like they don't acknowledge that 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 we what we breathe inside our body has anything to do with what happens inside the body. I don't know. It's like they think that we are just some bodies that don't communicate with the air. I think that's the main problem because I, when I talk to doctors about, okay, we dwell in this water damaged building and they say, okay, it's under the floor and it's there. And I said, no, it's the, uh, the chemicals, the microbiome, it, it changes. We know that it changes in the water damaged building. And if you stay there long enough and you're breathing it, of course it changes something and this is what you have to look into and this is what you have to because they're always thinking about the allergy or the or the mold no the mold doesn't go into you and grow in you 
Now we are talking about the air you're breathing and all the chemicals in it. And what is different from uh, air in a water damaged building and in a healthy building? That's what we need to look into more. Very well put. Yeah, I agree. I think we're putting too much money into genetic modification and genetic predisposition and whatever research I keep saying on <laughs> on Science Magazine about all the, the genes and everything. It just, we have to understand that we are an entity that interacts with our ecosystem. And exactly. we have to know that it's not just things that go wrong in our body, but what are we interacting with that is affecting our body and changing these different genes and turning them on and off. So exactly, yeah. every time I hear a doctor that says, you know, you have a, your illness is hereditary or you have a genetic predisposition. Well, I'm just like, well, you're, you're being lazy because something's affecting my body that is turning on these genes. So we need to figure out what the root cause is and not just blame the body and take the easy way out. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Yeah. But um, do you guys have any other questions for our guests today? No, this has been a great talk. Yeah, thank you so much, my dear. How do you pronounce your name again? Silkia. Silkia. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Thank you again, my dear, for joining us. And if um we do have international listeners, so if we have people in Iceland or people in the US or anyone who wants to contact you, where can they find you? Ah, uh, uh, in my my I am, we are only two with my name in Iceland. So it's really easy to find me. So people can easily find me. (laughs) Okay, cool. Then I'll put, I'll put your information below for them. And I think actually Keely had one last question. I don't really have a question. I just, there's two things that really stood out to me for this, for this interview. First, it was really nice. It was really nice to meet you and listen to you talk Hearing you describe how mold illness went from essentially not at all known to Iceland to you having this experience, to you being a big part of how it's even handled and prevented now in Iceland, is such an amazing story. And it also really highlights something that Eric has been telling Alicia and I for years. And it's like, because we didn't live through the transition it's not something that we can visualize as easy as Eric can just say it, but he's always told us, you know, when this toxic mold phenomenon emerged in the eighties, like mold was essentially unknown. Like it wasn't thought to be part of sick building syndrome. There weren't mold testers. There weren't mold remediation companies. And it's because like we were so young during that time. It's like, we, you know, we got sick and mold and realized it was mold and we just were like, oh, mold does this. Like we never had this before and after. So that's been hard for us to understand. But you literally witnessed and lived through this transitionary period as like the forefront person of exactly what Eric has explained of of a time period where it's not really known at all. And then it blows up to this huge forefront. And I just think that that is so interesting. And even you hearing you tell your story has been like helping me just visualize the concept. Like this is literally something we're watching emerge in history. And when you just enter in like 20, 30 years later into the timeline for something, you don't realize you're on a timeline of anything. But hearing your story has really solidified that for me. And the other observation that I had is we're literally all here because of Eric's advocacy. (laughs) Like even in this exact moment together, because... (laughs) He was advocating for years on the Yahoo Stick Buildings groups, and that's how you met him. And that's how Alicia and I stumbled into him, too. So I just think that really speaks to like how relentless he's been in this fight and getting this recognized. And um, it was really nice meeting you. Thank you so much for joining and for sharing your story. It was thank really, really interesting to listen to for me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you, Eric, for everything. Absolutely. Great talk to you again. Take care. See you. Bye. See you hopefully later. I have right. much yeah. more to say if you have something more. <laughs> we'll do oh, it again. Yeah. We'd yeah. love to do a part two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Keely Severson is passionate and committed to exposing the truth about toxic mold and its effects on the human body. Many mold-injured people are often misdiagnosed with autoimmune conditions, nerve damage, mental illnesses, and other chronic health conditions due to the lack of knowledge about water damage and toxic mold growing in their homes. 
The crippling effects of toxic mold on the body has destroyed many lives. Been there, done that. When she became a healthcare provider specializing in acupuncture and herbal medicine, it was only then that she truly began to understand the connection between her health and the environment that she was living in. Three years after becoming a licensed care provider, she became incredibly ill. She was suffering from kidney failure, reoccurring UTIs, and various negative mental health symptoms. When she learned that her family had been dwelling with mold trapped under her kitchen floor, the relationship between the toxic mold factor and her health finally began to make sense. It became part of her life's mission to help educate society on the extreme effects that mold can have on the body. Her work is vital because there exists a lack of experience and acknowledgement for mainstream medical practitioners and even mold experts. She has firsthand experience dealing with mold exposure, and she makes sure to address all the signs and symptoms during every environmental screening that she performs. She's developed a line of organic herbal tinctures and formulas to help most patients reduce symptoms commonly associated with toxic mold exposures. These symptoms vary and can manifest themselves very differently from person to person. Her herbal education and experience has helped her increase awareness and recognize signs in patients that may result from their toxic environments. Keely's dedication to learning and understanding the effects of toxic mold and educating and bringing awareness to her patients and other providers keep her motivated. She knows just how devastating the untreated consequences can be on your health and the health of your families, relationships, and life outcomes. If you or someone you know may be affected by toxic mold exposure, rest assured that you and Keely will work together to find a solution. By working together to treat the symptoms and stay educated on toxic mold exposures, we can reduce the impact of this devastating phenomenon. To consult with Keely, please visit exposingmold.com slash consultations. That's exposingmold.com slash C-O-N. S-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N-S. Book your appointment today. Thank you everyone for joining us today. We had Silka from Iceland. She is a pioneer in mold over there, taking uh, Eric's teachings and applying it to her life, getting well and starting her own company that she is now working with um, the country of Iceland to monitor their buildings, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, please check out our group. We are on Patreon. We offer a very low-cost monthly educational group where you can provide more behind-the-scenes information and more day-to-day information that you can use to get well. And uh, feel free to buy us a coffee. We work really hard uh, just doing this for free, and we want to keep doing this. So please go ahead and send over a small donation or two to keep this podcast rolling. Thank you again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye.